This morning, my message is on seeing Christ in the seasons of fall and winter. Now, I do love the change of seasons. Uh, Each season has its own unique flavor to it, its own unique beauty. Each season has a role and a reason for it. And each season builds upon the foundation of the next season to come. And so it is true in our seasons of life. As surely as one season follows another, we are so grateful that the Lord directs our steps throughout these seasons. Now, in the haunting wedding song from the musical Fiddler on the Roof, the song Sunrise, Sunset, Tevier and his wife marvel at how quickly life has passed and how each season follows another. Perhaps you know the line from that song, Sunrise, sunset, sunrise, sunset, swiftly flows the years, one season following another, laden with happiness and tears. And surely that is true for our seasons of life as well. They can be laden with happiness and tears. There's a fascinating book tucked in the middle of the Old Testament that addresses the seasons of life. And it's written by Solomon, and it's considered a book of wisdom. And near the beginning of one of the most famous of the poems are two lines that come out of the book of Ecclesiastes. To everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. So every activity has its proper time ordained by God. And what does this mean for you and me? God has a purpose for our life. No matter what our age, no matter what our season, no matter what our situation, no matter what our circumstance, God cares for us. And no matter how you feel about today, God is working behind the scenes on your behalf no matter what your season may be. We are privileged this morning to open up the Word of God to the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you have a Bible with you, please open to chapter 3. And I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 8, and then also the first part of verse 11. So you can follow along as I read. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate a time of war, and a time of peace. Verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you control time. Our times are in your hand. We thank you, Father, for each day that you've given us. We thank you, Father, for the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. We thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit that indwells us to live the Christian life. So I pray now, Father, as I share this message of seeing Christ in the seasons of fall and winter, we will be refreshed in that inner woman of the heart. Thank you now, Father, for this opportunity to share your word and message with these women. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the verse that I have selected for the fall season comes from James 5, verses 7 through 8. Therefore, be patient, Until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, 
waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Well, if a man is impatient, he better not be a farmer. Because no crop appears overnight except a crop of weeds. But how patient the farmer must be. Why does a farmer wait so long for his crop? Because, as we see according to this verse, the fruit is precious. The harvest is worth the waiting for. Has your fall season arrived? Great! Goodbye, green! It's time to have something a little more colorful in your life. And of all the seasons, fall is my favorite. There's just a feel about fall. Uh, There's the distinct smell of fall. And I think the leaves have a lot to do with that. And it's during this season of fall that the foliage changes, and the weather changes, and time changes. And the only thing that doesn't change is our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am so thankful that Jesus Christ never changes. Now, I'm going to ask you this question. Would you like to go on a walk with me this morning? I would like to take you on a walk through the seasons of fall and winter. And on this walk, we're going to take the walk on the path of life. And this is the path of eternal life. And I drew it from one of my favorite verses, which is Psalm 1611. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So this is a path of eternal life. And the only way on this path of eternal life is through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. And as we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, that he died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again, we are on that path of eternal life, never to go off that path, which it leads right to our heavenly home. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to take a walk with me on the path of life during the seasons of fall and winter. And it's a season of fall right now, so I'm going to ask you to put on a jacket. It's, it's just a little cool outside, so I want you to keep note of that. It's a little cool in here as well. <laughs> so I'll put on a jacket, and we're going to walk on that, season, on that path of life. Now, as a seasoned woman, I hope you don't mind if I do all the talking on our walk. And you uh, spring and summer ladies can go on this walk with us. You can eavesdrop uh, to what I have to share about the seasons of fall and winter. But as we think of the fall season of our lives, quietly the season comes upon us, almost without fanfare. And we realize, oh my, (laughs) I'm in the season of fall. And we have new things to do in this season. We have new transitions to make. We have new opportunities that lie before us. And this season represents a time of transition for us women. We're learning to find fulfillment in new things alongside of our friends and our family. This might be a season where you are a caregiver to uh, perhaps a mother or father who's become ill. Uh, This might be a season when you've lost your mate, you've lost your husband. And we have women within our church who, in the fall season, lost their husbands. We need to pray for these women. Put them, hold them close to your heart. Put them on your prayer list. Let's not remember these dear women. But as we think about the season of fall and how quickly the season seems to come upon us, I think, how, how did this happen? How Did that week go by so fast? How did that season of summer slip by and all of a sudden I'm in fall? And time continues to be a mystery to me. How did those children grow up so fast and leave the home? And now I have an empty nest. Have you noticed how uncooperative time is as we think about time? When you want it to go by quickly, when you are in the ninth month of your pregnancy, it just drags along. Or why do exercise minutes seem longer than alarm clocks, snooze minutes? 
and time simply will not slow down on a vacation. Do two weeks on vacation feel the same as two weeks at work? No, you can't stop those two weeks on vacation. It just keeps going, doesn't it? And if you have chores to do or a message to write, time does not slow down and give you that extra time that you need for those projects. But in every one of our situations, each hour has exactly the same of 60 minutes, no more, and no less. And you've probably heard the expression, time heals all wounds. Well, time might be a great healer, but it's a lousy cosmetologist. Uh, for example, while uh, mother was applying face cream, her husband asked their daughter, well, what is mom doing? And the little girl replied, she's applying oil of delay. <laughs> but when I consider time, I am reminded that God alone is the master of time, not us. He is the only one who changes the times and the seasons. Daniel wrote that in Daniel chapter 2. And I especially like the way David expressed time. He said, but as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. And I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Isn't that a lovely thought? That no matter what season we're in, how old we may be, we can remind ourselves every single moment of every single day is in your hand, Heavenly Father, and that's a safe place for it to rest. So reflecting on our seasons, there's one overarching idea that seems to eclipse all others. It's not a very new idea. It's not very profound but few would debate its truth. And here it is. Life is short. That's not only a valid observation, but it's a continual refrain that we hear from in Scripture. We hear this refrain in the Old Testament, and we hear this refrain in the New Testament as well. It's a reminder to us, just as the seasons are, that life is short. In fact... In Psalm 90, which is the oldest of the Psalms, and it's penned by Israel's first leader, great leader, Moses, he wrote something about time, and he wrote a statement about life, and he wrote a statement about the brevity of life. And he comes to some conclusions, and he says, life is like yesterday when it passes by. Whenever I read Psalm 90, I picture Moses sitting at the entrance of his tent in a wilderness and looking out at the generation that he led out of Egypt. And as he's looking at that generation that he led out of Egypt, person by person is dying off. And he's making comments as he's watching this about how quickly this time, this 40 years has gone by and the brevity of life. And he says, Time, life is like yesterday when it passes by. It's like a watch in the night. It's like grass. It sprouts and withers. It's like a sigh. And soon it is gone. Now the Psalms are hymns. It was the hymn book of Israel. And so the Psalms were sung. And this particular song was sung in the minor key. And I think that was to give it a somber tone to it. Now, Moses is not being cynical about life when he's writing these statements. He's just being a realist. He's just drawing from the observations that he has. And he's telling us, stop for a minute and take a look because life is short. And then he comes to the climax of Psalm 90. It's in verse 12, and he comes to this conclusion. As a result of the brevity of life, Father, teach us to number our days. That's in Psalm 90, verse 12. Interesting statement, Moses, because we tend to number our years, but not our days. And I think this is a very good piece of advice 
that Moses gives us. Now, if you're 60 years old, you have lived 21,900 days. I don't mean to depress you, but we are talking about the reality of things. So that, that, those are a lot of days. And as you look at those number of days that Moses tells us to number, could it be that looking at the number of days might cause me to forgive that person who offended me? Could it be, considering the number of days that I have been given, and I actually gaze at that figure, could it make me see that, oh my goodness, the little things that seem to be so big to me, I spend too much time thinking about? Could it be that that unfinished kitchen that I just stress over, really, when you think about the brevity of life, is so small compared to all the things in life that make it so, import- so unimportant? And could it be, if I stare at those number of days, that I'll take myself less seriously and not be so hard on myself? Could it be, as I sense those days slipping by so quickly, that I will consider my relationship with Jesus Christ? Could it be? Oh, yes, dear Father. The people whom I meet, the letters that I write, the prayers that I offer, the conversations that I have, these all have value in your sight, every single one of them. You have written them in the day of your book. Teach me to measure each moment. Teach me, Father, to number my days. Now, it's interesting. The apostle Paul mirrored exactly what Moses was saying in Psalm 90 because Paul said, In the book of Ephesians, he said, Redeem the time, dear believer, because the days are evil. The days are short. Make each moment count. And the word redeem there means opportunity. Our English word opportunity means toward the port. And the song that was sung by the women was such an appropriate song. Because the song and this word gives the suggestion of a ship taking advantage of the wind and the tide to arrive safely at the harbor. So the brevity of life is a strong argument to make the best of the opportunities that God has before us. And you know, this isn't complicated, ladies, because God presents the opportunities for us as we are walking by faith. And there they are. I have a friend who prays every morning, and this is her prayer. Father, there are so many miserable people who need the Lord Jesus. This is the day that you have made. Show me what you have for me today. And then God answers her prayers in a remarkable way as she talks to people or witnesses to people. Uh, quite often it could be in a, at a grocery store. could be in... Um, and her ski trails, hockey arenas, you name it, wherever her feet take her, God directs her path, and she has opportunities to share the Lord with others. And that same is true in her home and with her family. And she can't wait to call me on occasion and say, Carol, you aren't going to believe the opportunities that God presented for me this week. I have another friend who will give this answer if you ask her this question. So, how was your day? And she will respond, it was a good day because every day with the Lord Jesus is a good day. And I just love that. So I always look forward to asking her, how was your day? (laughs) Because every new dawn before you awaken, life, not UPS, makes a delivery to your front door and runs. And each package is delivered with a big print. Here's another day. Here's another opportunity for you to redeem. I do have a habit that in the morning when I get up and I go into the bathroom and I look at the calendar that's in my bathroom and I tear off yesterday. And then I put it in the garbage. And I say, Father, that was yesterday. And you gave me opportunities to redeem yesterday. And this is a new day. And by your grace, Father, and through your spirit, may I fulfill whatever you have for me today. And I look forward to what that may be.
I don't know how the day will unfold. And sometimes I have a lot of surprises on how, how that day unfolded. But I know that God is in that day. Ladies, as we're on our walk on the path of life, let's remind ourselves that we walk in love. We walk in love as Christ also has loved us. That's a lovely thought in and of itself, isn't it? And secondly, and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. The word walk means to order one's behavior or to conduct oneself. And this walk in love is a walk in God's love, God's agape love. And if you look at the fruit of the Spirit, it's that first fruit, his love, which God demonstrated at the cross. We begin our walk in love because love is the fundamental factor in the Christian life. Did you grab a hold of that? Our walk in love is a fundamental factor in the Christian life. We walk in God's love for us. And the Holy Spirit puts this love in our heart when we have accepted him as our Savior. And we are not just called to talk love, but it's interesting how Scripture says it. We are to walk in love. The whole course of our life, wherever our steps may take us, every phase of our conduct, is to be in love, Christ's love. Our walk reflects our position in Jesus Christ. Oh, thank you, Father. What a privilege that is. So our walk is to undergird every relationship we have. It's your relationship with the people in your home, your relationship with your people at school, the relationship with your people at work, the relationship with the people at church. Every time we walk in God's love for us which is a lovely thought as we think about love because God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you ever question this, do I know if God loves me? You just go back to the cross and you remind yourself, yes, he does because he proved his love at Calvary. For God so loved you, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that if you would believe in him, you will not perish but have everlasting life. I came to the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior in the springtime of my life. I was a senior at college when the gospel of grace was shared with, with me. And I'm so thankful that through my spring season and my summer season and my fall season and winter season, <laughs> am I in the winter season now? <laughs> that I have been able to walk in love. God's love for me. And I also have a hope because the Lord Jesus Christ said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? Do you? You can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you can be saved. And what I love about the resurrection is this idea, because he lives... I can face tomorrow. That's a line sometimes I just grab a hold of when things are difficult. Because my Savior lives, I can face tomorrow. As lovely as John 3.16 is to the world, so to speak, 1 John 3.16 is the verse just for the believers, for those who know Christ as their Savior. Because this is how we know love, that Jesus Christ lay down our, his life for us. Don't ever forget that, dear ladies. May we not forget that through our various seasons of life. And we love him because he first loved us. And what is so lovely about God's love is that he says, now I want you to share my love with others. And that's what the fruit of the Spirit is all about. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit takes residence, comes inside of us, Christ in me, the hope of glory, because God knew I could not live the Christian life on my own. I needed his help. I needed his divine help. And what a gift he gave me when he said, I'm going to live right inside of you. And as you trust me, as you walk by faith, that Spirit of God goes to work in your life. You can't see it. You can't feel it. But it's there, and it's powerful. And the first fruit is that fruit 
of love. So what about God's love? Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So that is why we can walk in love and we can share God's love with others. Now, as you think about the fruit of the Spirit, there are nine of them. And they all come as one package, as Faye mentioned, as one fruit. So the first fruit is love, and then we have joy, and then we have peace. And the next fruit is long-suffering, which we can refer to as patience. Now, as we look at the meaning of patience in Scripture, quite often patience refers to patience in trials, that we are patient, that God is working out his will through difficult things that are in our life because he's working to will and to do of his good pleasure to conform us to the image of Christ. That's patience in trial. When we think of long-suffering, as we see of one of the fruit of the Spirit, that's really referring to patience toward people. (laughs) The Greek word for patient is this, to be long-tempered as opposed to be short-tempered regarding putting up with difficult people. (laughs) It's easy to put up with people who are nice to us and who are kind to us and who are loving to us and who are forgiving to us. But what about manifesting the fruit of long-suffering or patience to people who can be difficult? God says, well, I've got that covered for you. Because as you're trusting me in the midst of working or living with difficult people, my spirit is going to help you with that. In January, I spoke at a ladies' retreat in Minneapolis And I spoke on the topic when the unexpected happens. And in the message, I talked about patience. And I mentioned, I said, you know, we don't hear much about patience, but God has a lot to say about patience. And I'm sorry, I only have a limited amount of time to speak on this topic. So after the message, uh, one of the women came up to me and said, Carol, when you speak at the ladies' retreat, would you speak more on patience? Because... Uh, I sure need that in my life. And I said, okay, uh, I'll pray about that and see where God works that into the message. And here it was. Here's where God worked it into. Uh, Is someone trying your patience? Uh, Whether it's at work or it's at school or it's in your relationship with friends or family members. Uh, If you're in a difficult chapter right now with someone, and I want you to know that God knows your story. Uh, But you have to remind yourself, if you're in a difficult situation with someone, uh, that person isn't perfect, but neither are you. And that requires patience, doesn't it? Uh, Will our children be perfect? Oh, if you think your children will be perfect, you're still looking at the ultrasound. Uh, Will my marriage be perfect? If you set yourself up for a perfect marriage, you get back to me after the reception. No boss, no friends, no marriage, no family, no church, no one is perfect. Why? Because we live in an imperfect world marred by sin. We're all going to have difficult chapters to go through in life. Maybe you're in one right now. We're all going to have to interact with characters uh, we don't care much for. (laughs) Uh, You're going to have great scenes in your life, and you're going to have scenes you'd rather send back for a rewrite. But wherever you are today, God has placed you in the perfect situation where patience is taught. Whether you're dealing with a tantrum-throwing toddler or an extended family member, or a co-worker, or a neighbor, or a friend, or your husband. We simply can't be patient people apart from the God of all patience working in our life, and that's what God is trying to show you when you have an, a person in your life that's very difficult. He's trying to show you 
his patience because he's a God of all patience and he's going to do a work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure as you trust him in the situation with this difficult person. And we've all had them. Do you recall how patient you had to be while you were raising your children? I think we figured this out after they were in our homes for about three days. (laughs) And what about our husbands? Patience with our husbands. Paul instructs husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And he instructs wives to respect their husbands, and that requires patience. God's patience. It takes time to learn how to love and respect in a marriage. So patience goes a long way in relationships. And have you heard this expression? Maybe you said it to someone. Will you please be patient with me? Uh, Perhaps even children have said that to you. Will you please be patient with me, Mom? And of course, when they say that, what they're really saying is, Will you please listen to me? Because we tend to do so much talking, if you will, and not enough listening. And we listen with our eyes, not so much even our ears. And so when we're either teaching children in a classroom, in a Sunday school classroom, at camp, at retreats, we're in a marriage relationship, we're at work, we're in school, how do we show someone really that we care? And that we're patient is stop talking and start listening and let them talk. And quite often they want to share things with you. And as they share things with you, things unfold as to what is on their mind and why they are the difficult person that they are. And then in turn, God uses his very spirit for you to have compassion and understanding with that person. So if someone is trying your patience today, you can remember these things. God extends his patience to me every day. That's part of the Christian life. It's part of the sanctification process. It's part of the conforming process. That God is then saying, I want you to shape up and have this all together now by the end of the day. No. Moment by moment, step by step, day by day, God is revealing himself to me, and also I can see more of myself and my need of Christ on a day-to-day basis. Another thing, if someone is trying your patience, you can remind yourself, change is a process, not a one-time event. Uh, If you say, Father, I, I want to be patient to this person, and I'm going to trust you that you're going to help me to do that, don't expect that every day then you're going to wake up and you're going to be a patient person. This is a walk by faith again and as you're trusting the Lord you're allowing his spirit to change you in that area with that impatient person. So let patience have her perfect work in your life. Another help that the Lord gives us is the God of all patience lives inside me by his spirit. Thank you very much Father. And as I'm abiding in Christ as I'm resting in him his patience then is manifested to another. I do not have the power within myself to be a patient person. I'll tell you that right now. I'm among friends, and I'll I'll be honest with you. But God, through his spirit, allows me, shows me, teaches me his patience. Another great help that we have is the fact that we do not endure people. We love them, and that's why love is one of the fruit of the spirit. And a very important thing to remember is someday I will be at the receiving end of patience. Somebody is patient with me. Have you not had those people in your life who have been patient with you? Uh, You may be the one who's in need of patience, compassion, a word of tenderness spoken to you, a touch of kindness given to you just when you needed it a gentle, considerate work of assurance, someone who comes along to cushion the blows of life. God sends that person into your life, and you're so thankful for them. And in turn, can you be that person in someone else's life as well? God will use that in your life to touch that person for Jesus Christ. For 
love endures all things. Now, this verse is not talking about abuse. If someone is abusing you, either physically or emotionally, it's not okay. And you need to talk to someone about this, either your pastor or friend. But this is talking about the fact of God's love. Christ's love endures all things. This comes from the great 1 Corinthians 13 chapter, which is referred to as a love chapter. It's quite often read at weddings and uh, and though it's not a marriage portion of scripture, it's really referring to the love that we show one another uh, among the brethren, or brothers and sisters in Christ. But it's an interesting statement pulled out of 1 Corinthians thirteen seven: love endures all things. So, you fall women, are you enjoying retirement? Perhaps this is a season you retired. Oh, maybe here's a better question. Are you and your husband enjoying retirement? Um, maybe here's an even better question. How are you and your husband adjusting to retirement? Uh, retirement's an adjustment, that's for sure. Barry and I are in that, in that phase right now. Uh, Barry and I have never spent more time together, even when we were dating. And so you find out about each other uh, when you spend a lot of time together. And we've never spent more time shopping together as we have uh, since Barry and I have retired. Men and women shop differently. They approach shopping differently. Uh, Barry comes along with me when I'm shopping, and he sees it as a nuisance and yet a uh, necessity. And I see it as a challenge and a calling, (laughs) I investigate when I shop, I evaluate, I touch things, you know, I touch clothing and items, and I consider my purchases very carefully. Now, that's not true when Barry shops at Menards. Oh, my. When he goes to Menards, I better have my tenors on because he's a man on a mission. And uh, he doesn't go there just to look around like I like to do. Mm-mm, no. He has specifics in mind, and he goes right to that place, and there's no walking and wandering the aisles when Barry is at Menards. So we've learned we have to respect one another's shopping styles as part of the love endures all things. And, and as I reflect on our marriage uh, with three children, four grandchildren, three in-law children, and six fur babies, I realized that neither Barry nor I had any idea of the many joys and sorrows and ridiculous circumstances that would bind us as one on our wedding day. We had no idea. All that we had to learn about loving one another and that love, Christ's love, endures all things. And that's a love he wants manifested in our marriage as well. At our wedding ceremony, I said to Barry, I will love you. If you are well and if you are sick. And Barry replied, if we are rich and if we are poor, I will love you. And the vows whispered to each other on that wedding day. Enjoy your happiness. But if love is to last, you must learn to love in harder times. Were those vows ever needed by Barry and me? Oh, as sure as fall follows summer, they were. And at that moment, the feeling of love alone will not sustain us. Sometimes we are called to love, not because of, but in spite of. And we're going to see in this afternoon's message that love has at the core, not just the feeling of love, but the will to love. Love is more than an emotion, it's a choice. And Christ pours out his love in us so that we, in turn, can love one another. And love endures all things, Barry and I have noticed, um, since we're spending so much time together now, by how we talk to one another. You know, when we both were busy with our work and, work and careers and such, we'd, you know, we to each other in the morning, and then we'd gather again at night, but we didn't spend the whole day (laughs) with each other and talking to one another. And that is why I have to say, 
Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. And I love this last part of the verse, the personal side of it. My strength and my redeemer, because it's God's strength within me that allows me to have the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in God's sight. Because we have warring within ourselves that old sin nature battling against that new nature and that tongue, that little member, can be a very big troublemaker in marriage and other relationships. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things, so how great, see how great a forest a little fire kindleth? Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My dear sisters, these things ought not to be so. Spurgeon, a great preacher for the 1800s, made this statement. What we are at home, that we are indeed. That's a very interesting statement. I'm going to say it again. For what we are at home, that we are indeed. It shows us the condition of our heart. And quite often what comes out of our mouth and how we speak to one another is a very good indication. But the tongue does not have to be a troublemaker in our relationships. God can use our tongues to encourage one another, to glorify Jesus Christ, and to influence our husbands in the Lord. I've been married long enough to be able to make this statement. You cannot change your husband. Sometimes we might go into marriage and think that we can. But you cannot change your husband. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. The Holy Spirit is in the changing business. You are not. But here's one thing we can do. You can influence your husband. You can influence others. And quite often you influence them through the power of your words. The power of our words is one of the greatest powers God has given us to influence others. It might not just be your husband. It can be your friends. It can be your co-workers. It can be people at church. It can be people in the community. God has given us the power of words. So that's why Colossians 4, 6 is, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Father, I don't quite often know that. I know, that's why I live inside of you. That's why you draw upon the Spirit of God. And I will allow you to speak sweet words to others. Because again, let me say this again, our words influence people. Donna Rackey, in the pamphlet, The Powerful Influence of the Christian Woman, said this. Your influence on your husband will make him or break him. You can make your husband a great man, You have the influence and the power to do that. And I've come to the conclusion that with very few exceptions, the wife is a marriage partner who holds the marriage and the home together. And I would concur. So I'm going to offer you words of encouragement. I'll begin with these very simple ones. Just saying please and thank you. I mean, it's so simple, and we teach our children this, but I have learned, Barry and I have both learned, since we're spending so much time together now, the importance of just saying please and thank you and being courteous. When you use these words, you are treating your husband or others, your children, with respect, and you're treating them like a person and not a thing, and you show appreciation by these words. Here's another, excuse me, here's another important word to say. I'm sorry. I was wrong. When you know that you've offended your husband or someone else in a way. And don't add a but to that. Don't say, I'm sorry that I got mad at you, but if you hadn't done this and I wouldn't have done that, then I wouldn't have said this and then we wouldn't have gone. You aren't feeling sorry. You aren't asking for an apology. You're blaming the other person. So you stop right there. I was wrong. And then don't forget to attach this question to it. Will you forgive me? Because when you ask that question, you are then putting 
the response on the person you offended. Now, he or she might say, no, I'm not going to forgive you. Well, then they have to deal with that. It's between them and the Lord. But at least you've offered the opportunity to bring reconciliation into the relationship. This is so powerful in whatever relationships you are in. Forgiveness is a powerful commodity because we draw upon the fact that the person might not even, shouldn't even deserve to be forgiven. But we say, wait a minute, wait a minute. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I remind myself, I have been forgiven. Even as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven me so that I in turn can forgive another. We need to remember, ladies, that the basis for everything in our life, it's the cross, and especially when it comes to forgiveness. Another powerful statement, I love you. Don't we like to hear that from someone else? I love you. And that is something that not only to say husband, to say to our children, to say to our friends, to say to one another, I love you. And I'm not just referring to romance, of course, with these words. They go much deeper than that. It's a statement that carries tremendous power. We should not take each other for granted. Life can change suddenly. And I found this out this fall when Barry became very ill in October. There's a saying that it is not only necessary to love, it is necessary to say so. And then, of course, the statement, I'm praying for you. When somebody says that to you, doesn't that just make lift your spirits if somebody comes up to you and says, you know, I've been praying for you, or you're on my prayer list. I'm bringing you before the throne of grace. The same is true you can say to your husband, I've been praying for you. In fact, as wives, we should be praying for our husbands every single day. They should be the first one on our prayer list. And we tend to forget them sometimes, don't we? And I think God would have us to pray for our husbands and for others. Prayer is powerful. I can't emphasize that enough. And throughout my seasons of life, I've had dear women, older women in the faith, show me the importance of prayer. They've modeled to me prayer here in this church. They've encouraged me to pray for one another. They've encouraged me to keep a prayer list. And I'm so thankful for that. So as we continue on our walk, I just have a question for you. Uh, How are the children doing? Uh, Are you enjoying them? (laughs) Wow, parenting adult children is a whole new thing, isn't it? Oh, my. Oh, this has been something else. We're just at this season when we let go of our children in the season of fall. And sometimes it's not the easiest thing to do, is it, to let go of our children. Letting go of them, <laughs> turning them loose. Uh, for mothers, this cannot happen without tears. They say that when the umbilical cord is cut at birth, that neither the mother nor the child feel the pain. But that's not true when the apron strings are cut. I'll never forget when our first daughter left for college and I walked past her room and there it was, all neat and tidy. (laughs) You know, everything was in order. And it was quiet. And I came downstairs and I told Barry, oh, that is hard. I I miss Melissa. And Barry was ready to move on. And yet I carried that empty nest within me. Uh, You know, as as you look back, motherhood is a risky business for us women. Because we can get blamed for all the ills of the world. And if we're not careful, we can fall into that trap as well and suffer with guilt. Um, the pressure begins when you're a mom-to-be. You feel you shouldn't have run for the bus or painted the bedroom ceiling on your own because it might be bad for the baby. After the birth, it gets worse for us. Um, your baby is the only one in the hospital who cries throughout the night. And you feel guilty. You know you ought to breastfeed your child like everyone else, but you simply can't. And so it goes. You're either too laid back or you're overly possessive. You've left them to learn how to read too late or you've killed their love of books by pushing them too young. 
And if you hadn't skipped those pages, reading their bedtime story at night, they would have passed English. It's just hard to take that kind of pressure as a mother without it getting to you, isn't it? So we can't let it. That's where I'm going to go with this. We can't let it. We have to cast those cares, cast that care to the Lord and leave it there and relax and enjoy being a mother. Uh, We fall and winter season women will tell you spring and summer women to enjoy each moment with your child. Children are God's gift to you. I know they can be overwhelming, they can be exhausting, but children have a lot to offer us. They don't have agendas. I love that. (laughs) But they do have hope, and they have a simple view of life. They are quick to trust and slow to dislike others. So we invest in our children with all that we have, with our prayers, our encouragement, our time, our attention, our love. We're responsible to be good mothers, loving, caring, nurturing, praying, teaching, involved. But our children's decisions and direction in life are largely a matter of their willingness to take God at his word, believe it, and live it, for they have volition. If they choose to live for the Lord, praise the Lord. But if they choose otherwise, do not live with guilt. God would not have us to be in bondage like that. So just continue to pray for them, love on them, never give up on them, and leave them in God's hands and enjoy them. Oh my goodness, is it winter already? Oh, that season of fall certainly went by fast. It moved by at an astonishing rate, didn't it? Some refer to the winter season as the golden age. But really, every season with the Lord is a golden age. But there are challenges to the winter season. Uh, one winter season woman said that perhaps the worst thing about growing old is having to listen to her children's advice. <laughs> because have you noticed that? Have you noticed that, dear women? That as you move into the winter season, uh, your children have a lot of advice for you. Uh, what you wear, you know, what you eat how you decorate your place, where you go. A reporter interviewed a 104-year-old woman, and he asked her, so what's the best thing about being 104? And she replied, no peer pressure. (laughs) So we're going to continue on our walk through now winter season. You're going to need to put on a warmer coat. Put on some boots as well. How about a hat? Wrap a scarf around your neck. And we're going to take a walk over the freshly fallen white manna that fell earlier this morning. And if you want to put on snowshoes, you can as well. We can walk walk with snowshoes. And there are treasures in the snow, God told Job. So we're going to look for those treasures on our walk. And winter is a wonderful season for women to share their wisdom, if anyone wants to listen. Because our wells are much deeper in the winter season. We have walked with the Lord over longer periods of time. We have much from which we can draw to share with women. And I'm going to banish from my mind Job's comforters who said that you can't pass on wisdom to the youth. I don't believe that's true. And winter is a season to remember. So I called it a season of remembrance. But one problem we face as we get older is forgetting some things. Too often we remember what we are supposed to forget, and we forget what we should remember. And we can walk from one room to another and not know why we've gone there. Like, why am I in this room again? (laughs) We know we had a reason to be in this room when we began, but we got lost along the way. So sometimes it helps if you want to back up and hope that it might come to us while you're in that room. And one woman shared that she called her daughter one night and said, your grandmother is getting more forgetful and more repetitive every day. If I ever get like that, you'll tell me, won't you? And her daughter replied, yes, mom, you told me that yesterday. (laughs) So God's word implores us to remember. I like that. 
The word remember is found in various forms in Scripture, hundreds of times actually, because God knows that we can so easily forget his goodness to us. Have you longed for some great work for the Lord, but instead you've been set apart on a bed of sickness in your winter season? Some of my dear friends are in this condition. And I've been encouraged by these women. Uh, They're not able to come out to church uh, because they're either in a long-term health care facility or they're at home with some ailments. Uh, And we need to pray for these women and put them on our prayer list. But I had a dear friend of ours uh, give me a note that she wanted me to read at the ladies' retreat. And let me share it with you. It's from our dear friend, Betty Stendy. Carol tells me she is speaking on the seasons of life. My winter came with a severe storm this year. We all know we are going to die someday, but when you get hit with three surgeries, stage four cancer, and chemo, it becomes very real. Is God still faithful in the midst of the storm of winter? Oh, yes. Even when you cannot bend enough to put on your socks and could do nothing but sit still and watch others work. I've always found joy in serving. Now I have to learn they who serve, who only stand and wait. Which is a verse from 1 Samuel 30. And then she says, thank you for your prayers, your cards, your concern, and your encouragement. I will miss you all at the retreat, but my thoughts and prayers are with you. And we're so thankful that Betty is with us today at this retreat that we have today. We know a verse in Titus 2 that says the older women are to be reverent in behavior and becoming holiness, and the older women are to be teachers of good things, and that they admonish the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. One time when I looked at this verse, I contacted a Bible scholar, and I asked him, could you please tell me who are the older women in this verse? Could you, could you identify it for me? And the Bible scholar says, well, according to my research, that would make the woman to be 60 years old. And I'm on the phone going, 60 years old? That's the older women? And, uh, yes, I do believe that is true. Wow. We, we, we become old so quickly, don't we? Life moves on one day at a time. And we find ourselves getting older, and all of a sudden we think, oh my goodness, according to this verse, I am one of the older women of the church? Can it be? <laughs> well, life moves on. And if you're over 60 and you bend over, and all 60 years bend with you. Have you noticed that as you get older? Gravity kicks in in that winter season, and every fold of skin that ever thought a becoming a wrinkle suddenly gets its wish. I don't recall this happening when I was younger. I could bend over and tie a shoe and bend over and scratch my leg and bend over and take dishes out of the dishwasher, and my skin pretty much stayed in place. And I could look at myself in the mirror, upside down, right side up, inside out, and beyond a shadow of a doubt, I would knew, know who I am. I remember one day looking in the mirror And looking back at me was my mother. And yet that didn't upset me. Because I loved my mother. But I realized, my goodness, now I'm in her place. So at times we can look at physical aging and get discouraged. We can't do the things we used to. We can't walk as fast or stay up as late. And Solomon, the wise philosopher, had a fascinating warning for the older men and women in his book of Ecclesiastes. And he said, don't ask Why were the old days better than these? It's not wise to ask such a question as that, says Solomon. Oh, we might look at the past and sigh and see it through rose-tinted glasses. We had cooler summers then, didn't we? Oh, we had milder winters. We had kinder people in that era. There were lower gas prices. We had family Christmases without conflict. We sigh and we tell people how great life used to be. But God doesn't want us to live in the past. Remember, we just saw that. He wants us to embrace today and live with eternity's values in view. 
As we're on this walk, dear ladies, I want to also remind you we not only walk in love, but we walk in wisdom. And be careful. Watch your step. Scripture says we're to walk circumspectly. That means careful with putting one foot in front of the other, which means looking around and buying up opportunities that God has for us. And even though the path might be stony and might be rocky that we're on right now, if God sends us on stony paths, he provides strong shoes. That's a Corey Ten Boom quote. Here's a psalm for old age. I, there's no author name for this psalm, but uh, it's an interesting one nonetheless. Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. Hmm. Well, the older I become, the more I appreciate this verse. I don't like the gray-headed part, <laughs> but I like the fact that no matter what your age and what your season, particularly in winter season, according to this scripture, I can declare God's strength to this generation. And I can declare God's power to everyone who is to come. God will see you through. That's the advantage you have in the winter season because you can look back and you can see God's faithfulness to you. At the time when you were in a circumstance, you can see it, but what you can do is you can look back and you say, God is good. God is faithful. We can tell the young, God will see you through. So I have to ask you, how are the grandchildren doing? Someone told me that if your baby is beautiful and perfect, never cries or fusses, sleeps and burps on demand, an angel all the time, you're the grandma. And a grandpa is something so sim- simple that even a child can operate it. But children certainly bring a whole new perspective to our lives, don't they? And as soon as we get over the shock of being referred to as grandma, we find ourselves consumed with interests and activities and love for the children. We can be a source of unfailing love and support for them, non-judgmental. Oh, we just love our grandchildren so much, and may we influence them for the Lord. Uh, for those of you in the winter season, do you find yourself reading obituaries in the newspaper more than you used to? <laughs> I, I have to admit, when we get the Masabi Daily News, um, that's the first page we turn to, <laughs> is the obituary section. When, when we get to the winter season of our lives, we tend to think more about our departure. We tend to think more about heaven and our eternal life in Christ for our salvation, our glorification is nearer than when we first believed. Uh, When Paul was in the winter season of life, he wrote this verse. He was 66 years old. And he said, For I'm now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And I love that word departure. He didn't use the word death or decease there. He referred to dying as a departure. And departure is such a beautiful word in the Greek. What actually what it means is taking down your tent. Paul was a tent maker, so that's probably why he used this analogy. Now, I don't like camping particularly, but um, the tent image is a good one. Death is simply taking down the tent, our mortal body, and moving it into a glorious new dwelling place. All of us will face a departure at one time or another, either through the rapture or through death. And the Lord Jesus Christ has the keys to life and to death. The Lord Jesus Christ knows the time of our departure. And I love the fact that when I depart, he'll be there at the gate. He will be there at my arrival. He will be at the arrival to my father's house, my heavenly home. It's our father's house, which I love, and his home is our home. We won't feel like visitors when we go into our father's house at the end of our path of life. The Lord Jesus is preparing a place for us. In fact, the Lord Jesus said these lovely words. He says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. I love the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is preparing a place for me right now. 
He knows what I love, he knows what I like, and I can trust him as he's preparing my place for him, for me, excuse me, in heaven. Heaven is perfect. No suffering, no sorrow, no tears, no obituaries, no funerals. We will live forever in the presence of the Lord. That's what heaven is all about. It's being with our Savior. Now, some people are afraid to look ahead. They're afraid of the departure. They're afraid of death. And there's no better peace than to know that your eternal future is secure. If you're here today or you're listening online and you do not have that peace of where you will spend eternity or you fear death, today can be your day of salvation. God does not want you to fear death. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to faith in Jesus Christ. God wants you to know that you have eternal life. That's why Christ died for you. He loves you and wants you to spend all eternity with him. All he asks is that you believe it, that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and believe that he died for you, that he was a sacrifice for your sin. And as you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you become a child of his, and the Holy Spirit takes residence in you, the seal, the down payment of your eternal inheritance. Dear ladies, your soul is very precious to the Lord. And he wants you to spend eternity with him. Well, we've come to the end of our walk for today. And we've considered many things as we walk through the seasons of fall and winter. But I'm going to encourage you to continue on your own walk on the path of life. And I'm going to continue to uh, encourage you with these words. Trust in the Lord on your walk with all your heart, and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he's going to direct your path as well. So walk by faith, live in his presence, and delight in his pleasures, because this is a message for all seasons. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you loved us, that you loved us, that you sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die for us. And he took upon himself, our sins on that cross. He was not willing that any should perish, and he was willing to take on that work. Thank you, Father, for each woman who's here today and for our relationship with Jesus Christ and our relationship with one another. We're grateful, Father, for the word of God that we can share with each other and encourage each other in the Lord. Now I pray, Father, for a time of refreshment and fellowship to come. In Jesus' name, amen.